were praying, and one of the prayers I had was uh, one morning just like, you know, help us be connected to each other, you know. If we're not connected to each other, we're kind of a, you know, if we're disconnected, we're, we're kind of, a, you know, like if you think about a disconnected finger laying on the ground, it's kind of a horrifying thought and uh, sort of a horror show kind of a thing. And, and Jack liked that picture, so he said, why don't you talk about community? I mean, we're in this spiritual discipline thing, and really being in Christian community is one of those disciplines, being in fellowship. So that's what we're talking about today. Um, you don't have all the nice notes that you usually have with Jack's messages, with all the scriptures written down and all that stuff. So if you want to follow along in the Bible, there are Bibles in your uh, pews. It'd probably be a different version that I'm going to be talking out of, but you'll be able to follow along. Ephesians 4, 7 through 16, we're going to talk about. And if you take notes, there is in the insert some room to take notes on. Just don't use this little um, half sheet, quarter sheet for notes because I'm, I've got a plan for that at the end. You're going to do something else with that. So don't take notes on that. Um, should be in your bulletins. And if you don't have a bulletin, they're in the middle on a little table there. So, all right, that's out of the way. So Ephesians 4, 7 through 16, Jerry just read that for us. And in this section of Scripture, uh, Paul is talking about the fact, um, he gets into talking about how we are a body um, and that Christ is the head. And that's one metaphor that's probably the most common metaphor that's used for Christ in the church. Another big one is, is the marriage metaphor, but uh, this body metaphor is very common um, throughout the, the New Testament. And actually, in this section, there's a couple of metaphors. And the other one is that um, Christ is also our king, and we are his subjects. We're, you know, the kingdom. And so he kind of mixes these metaphors together in this scripture. So, you know, we started in verse 7, uh, but I'm going to just read 8 through 10 to begin here and skip 7 for right now and reread um, from verse 8 to 10. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So this little section in here, as he starts talking about giving gifts uh, to men and then going on to talk about how we're connected to the body, he has this little aside in here where he talks about Jesus being ascended. And it seems to not fit at first read to me, um, but it really does. He, um, in his ascension, it's, I think, for me at least, growing up in the church, the ascension was one of those things that, you know the story of Jesus ascending on the, it's 40 days after his resurrection, and we know the story, but it, we focus on the resurrection, the crucifixion, resurrection, and then we might skip to Pentecost. Um, probably in the church I grew up in, we focused on Easter Sunday, and that was about it, you know, Christmas and Easter and you know, kind of, you just did life in between. This year, we really took a focus on, you know, the Lent time, thinking about the, you know, time leading up to crucifixion and the resurrection. And then when we hit that point, we, you know, we spent this time in a term that I didn't even know called Eastertide, 
um, good tidings of Easter, you know, the 50 days after Easter, and Ascension Day is on the 40th day. And I will say that in all my Christian life, I've never celebrated or done anything on Ascension Day. Most of the time, probably never even realized it happened um, because it falls not on a Sunday, it's a midweek day. But this year, we decided let's let's get together and as you know we think about the sun rising the you know son of god rising to heaven we decided to meet we met up on alpine behind star theater i know some of you were there and before sunrise and we we prayed together we shared a little meditation we sang together and we watched the sunrise as it turned out over hobby lobby <laughs> who who knew but uh that wasn't intentional but we thought kind of fitting. Um, so, uh, you know, and thought about the fact that Jesus would rise one day, or that rose and ascended one day. He's coming back one day. Uh, the angel said that he'd come back the same way. And so, you know, we look forward to that. But what does the ascension mean? Um, the Bible actually kind of makes a big deal of that, too. It talks several places, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Acts, Ephesians, Hebrews, several times about how he ascended to the right hand of God the Father, and he sat down. And from there, he is reigning and ruling. And so um, Susan and I went to a conference earlier this year and went through the book of Hebrews and was talking, and one of the speakers that really kind of hit us was talking about that, how Jesus sat down. And when he sat down, you know, what does sitting down at the end of the day mean to you? You know, you, your work is done, right? You, you sat down. And so his work was done. He got to heaven, and in one sense, his work was done. He came down to earth. He did what needed to be done, um, which was planned from before eternity to bring us back into relationship with him, to, you know, purify us from our sins. And he did all that on our behalf. And so as we think about him being that king who did that, he sits down, done. He's also not done in another uh, way. He's coming back while he's up there. It's so easy for him. He can sit and reign and rule this whole world. He can govern. He can do everything that he needs to do to take care of this world while he's sitting down. Um, Another thing about the sitting down is that it's a kingly position. You know, uh, kings ascend to the, to the throne and they sit down. And so it's a picture of his enthronement. Um, the fact that he's exalted to the right hand of the Father, it says several times through the New Testament, he's at the right hand of God the Father. And so he's at the most exalted place you can be. Um, and within the Godhead, he is God himself as uh, the scriptures are clear, but he has his position within the Godhead as the Son to sit at the right hand of the Father, to rule and to reign from there. And so uh, the other thing it says in the second part of verse 8, it says that when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. So leading a host of captives, other versions say he took captivity captive, he took sin and death captive. He came down. And another picture um, is Ephesians uh, 4.8 actually quotes in this spot Psalm 68, verse 18, that he ascended on high, 
leading a host of captives in your train, and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. So Psalm 68 pictures God coming up um, into Jerusalem as king, conquering with captives in his train. And so, you know, the Israelites that the psalm was being spoken to would know about this, right? They would know about their kings coming back with conquest, and there would be conquered people that would be in chains and they would be captives and they would become their slaves and they would be I mean this was part of that the way they they you know won wars and it was part of the glory of a king that he would have these things but then also in his captives is a picture here where we're actually talked about in the New Testament being slaves and servants of Christ however in that regard we are willing slaves and servants. We are joyful slaves and servants because the more we're enslaved to Christ, the more free we actually become. And uh, because unfortunately in this world, we're either enslaved to sin or we're enslaved to Christ. And how we're going to find joy is being enslaved to Christ. And so in this kingly uh, kingdom subject uh, metaphor, we're the kingdom subjects and we're going to find our freedom in being willing and able and um, joyful in following Jesus in that way. And then it says that if he ascended, he would only ascend if he had, hadn't, he wouldn't have ascended had he not descended first. And when he descended, he came and he overcame sin and death. And uh, he gave us freedom and life from that position. And as well, he sustains all things by the word of his power, and he gave gifts to men. Ephesians uh, 4.10 says that he fills all things, and that um, Hebrews 1.3 is another um, verse talking about him sitting down at the right hand of the majesty on high, where it says he's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So I still haven't got to the body of Christ, but um, that whole setup is to say, You know, that whole metaphor of Christ, um, who he is sitting at the throne, that's who the head is, right? That's who controls the whole universe. And so when you switch over now into the metaphor of the body, you're talking about Jesus being the head. You're talking about, you think about how important the head is to the body and that um, everything that the, the head thinks, the body does. And, you know, the body doesn't do anything on its own. In fact, a, a body without a head, if we want to talk about a horror show, that's, um, you know, that there's definitely those movies out there, right? Um, and so J- Jesus is the new head. And in Romans 5, it talks about how as a new head, he is, you know, not only this new king, uh, but he's the new head and who used to be our head was was Adam, and Adam. Uh, we all know the story. He didn't do so well as head, 
and um, he fell into sin, and as a result, we're all corrupted in sin ever since, and so we need a new head. We need a new ruler, and um, so in effect, we've had a head transplant, if you will, um, as we think about uh, the body. Um, it's kind of interesting, you know, what I do in uh, working in surgery every day. I work in heart transplants. We don't do head transplants, thankfully. Uh, to this point, I hope we never do. Um, but, uh, you know, we do do heart transplants. And when you think about um, the body as an individual and then the body as a, as a corporate, um, Jesus being the head, um, you know, we all start individually coming to Christ needing a heart transplant, right? We, uh, we all have these diseased old hearts, and we need, a, we need a heart transplant. And so Ezekiel 36 talks about that. It says, I will give you a new heart and place a new spirit within you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone, give you a heart of flesh. So what that entails is, you know, Jesus invading us, right, with his spirit and us becoming new in him. And all of us who follow Jesus know that um, experience of him giving us new desires in our heart. And really, I think that's what we're talking about with the, with the heart transplant, that we, there's a new desire center within us. You know, there's the old desires have been um, put to the side. You know, not that they're completely gone, unfortunately. They're still in there. And an interesting thing um, about surgery with heart transplants is when the heart, old heart's taken out, there's actually a little bit of that old heart still there. Um, they, don't, they don't take by the, the back part of the upper heart is left um, to sew the new one onto it. And so it's actually the pacemaker portion of the heart um, is remains. And so often, if you look at an EKG on a heart transplant patient, you may see two little blips where it's trying to um, start a heart rate, but the one is cut off from actually sending impulses to the new heart because those nerves have been cut. So um, you get, uh, and, and consequently, there's drugs that you can't give a heart transplant patient because they won't work because they work through the nervous system of the body and, and they won't work on a, a heart transplant patient. So just interesting things about that that I felt have kind of application for, you know, when God puts a new heart in us, um, it gives us these new desires. But then we find... Why do we still have these old desires? You know, it should be gone. Like, why do we still struggle with this? And, you know, and what he tells us is those things are going to be there. We're going to keep struggling with those things until Jesus comes back. We'll be given new bodies one day, and we won't have that struggle. But while we're here, we still have the struggle because that, that old man is, is still in there. That old flesh is still, you know, the rim of it <laughs> is wanting to send a, a heartbeat. And, you know, we need to reckon it dead. Um, and, you know, and that's the, the difference also as a Christian, you know, between the Christian and the world. The world looks at its fleshly desires without Christ, and it thinks, that's the answer. I just need to feed my desire, right? As long as my desire is there, then it must be good. And, in fact, the thing that's going to hurt me is if I try to stop that desire, right? And especially in the area, you know, in, that, in this culture of sexuality, that's been just, you know, uh, 
uh, no holds barred. Like, you know, whatever that desire is, it must be good and it must be fulfilled or it's damage to me or it's dangerous even. So you even see how the Christian message can be looked at as a dangerous message because um, we say we're to kill those desires. We're to put them to death. You know, the old man needs to be killed. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a uh, theologian in Nazi Germany. He ended up getting executed by the Nazis. Um, But he wrote a great book called The Cost of Discipleship. And he has this quote that says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And uh, it's the only religion, you know, really out there that asks that. The great news is he doesn't bid him to come and die so that there's no life, right? We're given a better life, a replaced life. Um, John Piper says it a little bit differently, how we live is in kind of a sacred schizophrenia um, in this world. We, we know the things that we ought to do. We just don't always live them out. And so we feel, the, feel that, right? We feel the, the tension of that. Like we know the spirit within us is contending for the truth and then the old man is wanting to fight with it. So it means that we have the spirit. And that's a good thing because that battle is going on. And um, so, yeah, so we have uh, these members of the body. We're meant to be connected to, to the body. We're meant to be connected to the head. But again, think about the body. Uh, we're not meant to be, if we're a finger, we're not meant to be connected directly to the head, right? I mean, we need to be in the place that we're meant to be or, or that becomes kind of a horror show. Um, we uh, need to be connected or we're lifeless or we're not functional. And even, I mean, you know, I'm moving my finger without not a lot of effort on my part. I can talk to you and move my finger, but it's taken, I mean, there's got to be some impulses going over there. I've got to be sending thoughts that way or it wouldn't do, I mean, it's not doing it on its own. I'm controlling that. Like, I can stop it and keep talking, and then I can keep it going again. I mean, is that not amazing? Seriously. I mean, do we, we sit here like this is just regular everything, but this is amazing that we can just do stuff like this. And I mean, you know, just because there's thoughts in my head, it somehow goes out in just a, I mean, that's, and we don't get amazed by these things, right? Um, most of the time, I guess, it, I don't know how we'd live life if we were all the time, but, um, but, it's not different in the body of Christ. We need to be connected to the body. We're not meant to be alone. We're going to die alone um, if we're out there. Um, so, you know, that's what this next section talks about. I'll read it through quickly here. Grace, verse 7. Grace is given to each one of us according to Christ's gift. And then skipping to 11. He himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. And I felt like, you know, Susie already kind of gave the sermon a little bit earlier in talking about us loving each other. And that's really what sums this up, speaking the truth in love in verse 15. 
Let us grow into him. Um, we need truth and we need love. Uh, verse, and, you, and you see it right down each verse leading up to that. Verse 11, you know, the apostles, the prophets, the teachers, the pastors, the evangelists, they're all truth agents. They're all meant to be building up the body. You know, they tend to be the leaders, uh, their offices uh, in the church, you know, uh, Jack and Becky. I mean, they're, as an elder, I'm called to be a shepherd. Um, you know, these are, these are callings, but they also are gifts throughout the body. Like, you all have amongst you those gifts. And then there's a whole list of other ones that we see in Corinthians and Romans that I'm not going to get into, but... Um, verse 12, they're all there. We're all needed. We all, all our gifts are needed to bear for us, for this body to work at all. You know, you can't just have the head and then whatever the, the pastors teach, you know, those offices might be like the shoulders or something. You're still pretty deficient. And so verse 12, you know, it basically says you're needed by the church and the church is needed by you. And then 13, the goal of this is that so we, we would all have a unified knowledge and a grasp of truth so that in the second part of verse 13, we would all obtain a sort of a corporate Christ-likeness, that we become this body that grows and is mature. And then in verse 14, it says, uh, for the individual, too, what this means is some stability, you know, that we're not tossed around uh, by, you know, what... Facebook and <laughs> the news will likely do to us out there, um, but we can be have stability. And so the result is, verse 16, kind of the sum up from him, the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is, part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So all that to say, you know, we're, we're part of the body. You're meant to be part of it. You all have gifts. Verse 7, he gave gifts to all of you. And so it's a matter of, you know, the leadership here to help, you know, help you help identify those things. You know, how do you discover those things? Questions to ask yourself are, you know, first of all, have you had the heart transplant, right? Are you connected to Christ? You got to have that. Uh, or you, you obviously won't have the rest. But then, you know, am I connected into the body? And, um, do I have a heart to serve the body? Do I want to, you know, see the body grow? And how these things, you know, play out too is, you know, the disciplines that Jack has been preaching about, the, you know, the regular things, you know, just, you know, discovering those gifts comes in community. Like as you are in relationship with others and as you're seeking to serve, you find out what those things are as you're serving. I think about Jack years ago, you know, was just, he said yes to giving a talk on a weekend that um, he didn't know what he was, he just said yes, right? He was willing to serve. And when he gave that talk, I, I don't know how many people came up to him after that talk and said, Jack, have you considered a call to being a pastor? And him, as a banker at that point, said, no, <laughs> never have, but I really kind of hate this banking thing, so I don't know, maybe I'll start praying about that. And, you know, I was, we were driving here this morning. Susie, we drive past American Seating Company, and Susie says to me, do you ever get just like a memory out of the blue? I'm like, I, I don't know, what are you talking about? And, and she's, she remembered having these little 
desk seats at home, you know, the little kids sort of desk chair combination. And she used to put her brother in the thing and and tell him, you know, I'm gonna. She wanted to be a teacher. She she was like, I want. I'm gonna teach. You know, so her brother had to be the student, and um, so she she was teaching, and she even thought, you know, she went to college. She thought maybe oh, she took some teaching classes, and she says, oh, I don't think this is for me. And and now all these years later, here she finds herself a teacher, and you know that gift is definitely there and um, flourishing. You know, and so I'm not going to go through the whole congregation and tell you all the, these gifts, but just to say, you know, it's, it's in the doing that you find the, the gifts. And so um, do what you already know how to do. You know, pray for the Spirit's leading. You know, be in community. Ask those around you, what do you, what do you think? You know, do I, do I have this? Do I have that? You know, I don't know. And, um, and then I'm just I'm going to close with... Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer also wrote this great little book called Life Together. Um, when he was in fellowship and before he went to prison, was out of fellowship. And we recognize that vis- visible fellowship with other believers is a great privilege and a great blessing by the grace of God. And we, I think we all know that with this whole COVID thing that hit us and forced us to be out of relationship in, in so many cases and so we can't take it for granted. And, you know, persecution may come here. Who knows? I mean, it's definitely in other places of the world where we can't, you know, they can't gather freely. So it's not something to be taken for granted. And he also says that we belong to each other in and only through Jesus Christ. You know, when, we, when we're connected, it's through the body of Christ, right? We're, we're all here because of Jesus. We're not you know, we may be connected to each other in, you know, some club outside of church stuff, but really our vital connection is through Christ. And we approach each other and we forgive each other and we love each other through Christ. Um, the body of Christ is not an, uh, an ideal that we're trying to make happen. It's a reality that we can receive with thanks and participate in. Um, Another thing is, you know, his Jesus being that ascended Lord, he's justified us before him, and the justification by Christ leads us, and that faith in Christ leads us to serve, right? We want to serve. That's part of the heartbeat that we now have is we want to serve. And um, self-justification, on the other hand, tends to just want to sit back and judge. Um, and then finally, Christian, Christian fellowship and these are all points that Bonhoeffer brought out on. Um, but Christian fellowship lives and exists by the intercession of its members for one another, or it collapses. So we need to be praying for each other, and that's going to... I've got one more quote um, from a guy by the name of Mark Sayers, this uh, phenomenal uh, Australian pastor who did a great podcast uh, over this COVID period of time, along with John Mark Comer, was a uh, um, this cultural moment. I highly recommend it. it. It finished like kind of right at the beginning of COVID. I, I wish they would have done more, but um, I haven't been able to find them. But a saying that he had is that the world out there wants the kingdom without the king, right? They're trying to counterfeit it. You know, there's, you've, you've seen, you see the signs, you see like this is, you know, we, we need to be all these things. 
but they want it without the king, right? And that's not going to work. We know it's not going to work. But they're trying, you know? There's good impulses out there. But they need the king. And just like they need the head on the body or it's going to be a horror show. So...